this is the Awakening Church live, raw, uncut, and we are in our first sneak peek of the Awakening Church here in Kihei. We're super pumped that you're here, and uh, we're excited about what God's going to do, and uh, we just want to invite you to just sit back, relax, and enjoy, and just prepare to have your heart touched and moved and challenged, and uh, it's going to be a great day today. Now, growing up, how many of you have had incredible moms in here? Raise your hand. Say your mom held it down for you. She made miracles with feeding you guys. And uh, my mom was an amazing, amazing woman. And she was really, really good at reaching lost people for Christ. She was really, really good at evangelism. And I was always so impressed because she would... She would just meet some random person, and she would be sitting down with this random person and just talking about life, talking about her story. And eventually what would happen is, is that my mom would open up to this person about her belief in Jesus, and she would talk about it in a way that wouldn't, uh, that wouldn't offend them, that wouldn't rub them the wrong way. And before you know it, my mom would be sitting there like a half hour with some person while we maybe were running around in a, a jungle gym while my mom was sitting off the side talking to a mom. And, and she would be talking to her, and within a half hour, they'd be both praying the sinner's prayer. And my mom would be leading somebody to Christ. And then we, we would, us kids would, would get around her afterwards and be like, hey, what, mom, what was that all about? Were you praying with that woman for her? He's like, oh, she, she gave her heart to Jesus. And she would do that over and over and over again. In, in growing up as a kid, and I, and I wondered, what, what mystery is it that my mom is so good at reaching people for Christ? How, what, what, makes, what makes it her wiring and makes her tick that she so easily can win people to Christ? But so many more of us, we struggle. We struggle to tell people about Jesus. We struggle to get out of our shell and step outside of ourselves. Well, what makes... What makes it so mysterious that she can do it? And man, I, I tell you what, she would do that over and over and over again. And she would give people little gifts, like she, after she would lead them to Christ, she would buy them a little trinket from a gift shop, like a little spoon or something. Remember me with this spoon. Remember the prayer you prayed. And it was incredible. And even in my young age, what was really crazy is because I was just watching my mom do this. And she wasn't a pastor. She wasn't a church. She was just a mom. She would go to the, wherever she went, she would sit down and start talking with people. And as a result, I just started watching her do that. And when I was like, I don't know, maybe eight years old, nine years old, we were on our way to a rock and roll concert. And at the rock and roll concert, you have these long trips and these buses on the way there and back. And there was a bunch of, uh, it was uh, young men from a boy's home that I was riding with. And we just started talking about Jesus. I don't know how it came up. We started talking about Jesus. And after listening to my mom talk to people about Jesus, I ended up leading this young guy through the sinner's prayer like at eight years old. And I wasn't, I, honestly, I wasn't even a believer yet. I wasn't even a surrendered person to Christ. I wasn't a Christ follower yet. But I was leading someone in a prayer to give their heart to God. And you know what's funny is I grew older I would run into that guy, and I would see him taking other younger, younger men under his shoulder and leading them to Christ, and the impact was big, and I was always 
touched by that, blown away by that. And it wasn't until later in my, in my life that I gave my heart to Christ truly. But it's amazing that a, just a young boy or a, a mom can talk to somebody and get to a point to where they're leading them to Christ. How does that happen? How does it happen? Because, again, a lot of us, we are just overwhelmed. We're intimidated by talking about Jesus, you know. Sometimes, I'll be honest with you, I get on the airplane and I'm like, Lord, please don't let them start talking to me. Please, I'm going to put my earphones in. I'm going to put my movie on because I know they're going to ask me about oftentimes, is what is it that you do? And then I'm like, I'm a pastor. And then that opens up a whole bag of worms, right? And people just talk about it and, you know. And then I, you know, oftentimes God would tell me, on, tap me on the shoulder before I got on the airplane, Stephen, you need to, you need to talk to somebody about me today. And I'm like, dang, because it's, what, what it is, it's uncomfortable sometimes. It's uncomfortable because we don't know how people are going to react. We don't know how people will respond when we talk about our faith. Because oftentimes in society, when we watch TV or we watch other people talking about Jesus, we have like this negative perspective of it, right? There's people on the side of the corner screaming hateful words like repent or die or repent or burn in hell. And it's just intimidating. It's overwhelming. Or we feel like if maybe we share our story that somebody might reject us. Well, I wonder if my, th- my friend finds out that I'm a Christian, if they're going to treat me different. Or what if my boss finds out that I'm a Christian and then I mess up and they're like, oh, look at you, Christian, Ugh, you know. That type of thing. So though this girl I'm dating, I don't know, really know if I want to talk about this whole faith thing because I really like this person. And I don't want to miss out on this relationship because it might be a deal breaker. And so we're intimidated. We're overwhelmed by this idea of sharing our faith. Some of us don't even care. There's people around us that don't know Jesus. They haven't surrendered lives to Jesus. They haven't found the, the thing that would set their life free, that would make them alive. It would give them joy and peace in their life. They haven't found it, but some of us walk around like we don't care. In our hearts, we, we really were thinking, hey, you can go to hell. And maybe based in theology, like, oh, God just predestines who gets saved. So if he's already decided, then why do I have to step out of myself, Right? Or maybe it's based off of just a lack of heart. We have no heart for lost people. We haven't cultivated a heart where it breaks, where we actually see this person, this life will be lost. This soul will be lost if I don't do something. Because, it, oh, well, that pastor's paid to do that. The church is responsible to do it, right? That's what they're there for. I'm here just to make money and give to the church and go to church regularly and do this thing. That's my job. That's the pastor's job to do that. Right? And that's what, what prevents us from caring. Maybe it hurts too much to care. Because when we start to get a heart for somebody and we see the brokenness, then, then it rips us apart. And it's just not, it's not fun having your heart broken for someone it's like, how many of you turn the channel and you watch the commercials for, like, the starving puppies or the starving kids in Africa or whatever, and you're just like, turn the channel. I don't want to see that. I don't want to have my heart broken. But that's what we do. And so we're going to talk about this idea 
that it's not your pastor or your church that will be held accountable for reaching the lost, reaching your friends, reaching your family for Christ. It won't be a pastor. It won't be your church. It'll be you. It'll be me. Now, let's do something really important here because guess what? We value God's presence. Uh, let's pray. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to rest on us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for what you're teaching us and what we're, how we're learning and growing. And Lord, we just pray that your spirit would rest here and speak through me, soften hearts, transform minds, Lord, and so that we can grow closer to you. In Jesus' precious name, and everybody said, amen, amen. We're going to open up our words this morning. You got your smartphone. How many of you guys got your smartphones? Okay. If you don't have a smartphone, we have custom awakening Bibles Someone could go and grab one for me, so I have one, so I can wave it around. We have custom awakening Bibles that we can give out to you as a gift, and uh, we would like to give that to you. It's just a way to say thank you, and, or if you know someone that's lost that needs God's word, you could give it to them. Also, we have an awakening app that you can download. It's free, and you can listen to God's word on there. You can listen to my messages. You could give. You can do all kinds of cool things on the app, so you could follow along on the message this morning with that. Now, we're going to look at the verse in Revelation. We're going to look at the words of Jesus in chapter 3. And this is what that scripture says. Jesus says, look. Where does he stand? He stands at the door. He stand, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. So Jesus, he stands by the door. He continually stands by the door of the hearts of man, knocking persistently, looking for a way to reach out, to connect, to embrace us. He's standing by the door. So I'm going to title this message this morning, I Stand by the Door. Or even better, we stand by the door. And so Jesus is standing by the door of hearts of men continually. But how does he stand by the door? Through you, in you, for your neighbor, for your family member. That's how Jesus stands at the door. Most of the time that anybody I've ever known or met, and, and most of the time in my life even, when I had encountered the person of Jesus Christ, it wasn't the physical manifestation of Jesus, but it was Jesus inside the person who was standing in front of me. It was the love of Jesus inside of that person that was, that was in, engaging me, reaching out to me, sharing their story with me. And that's how I met Jesus. That's how he stands at the door, in and through us. So, why should we stand by the door? Well, there's three reasons I'll give you why we should stand by the door. The first one, the first one is because God cares more about one lost person being found than one's feeble attempt at self-righteousness, playing by the rules, being safe. Hey, I go to church. I read my Bible. I give. I, I, I attend regularly. You know, I do all these things. And he looks at that that history of your walk with him and you being faithful 
You know what matters more, more to God than that? It's, it's, it's a lost person coming to know Jesus. Now, does that mean you know, it doesn't matter if we don't have righteousness? If it, it doesn't matter if we don't try to please God by doing what's right? No, we continue to do that. But it's more important to him to reach even just one lost person. Where do I get that from? Well, I get it from Luke chapter 15. And this is in the context of Jesus talking to a bunch of religious people who are all playing by the rules, who are all playing it safe. They were self-righteous in their own view. In fact, they were on the outside, they were, they were very clean. They wore expensive clothing. And, and, they would, and they would make sure they followed every rule to the T. And then they would make sure that everybody else followed the rules to the T. And Jesus would confront them and he said, on the outside, you're like whitewashed tombs. Everything's clean. But on the inside, you're full of dead man's bones. Why? Why? Because they didn't care about the lost. They didn't care about those who were far from God. They had gotten so far into their relationship with him, they, they forgot what it was like to be far from him. And that's what happens to a lot of us. When we come to know Jesus, as the years go by, we grow closer to him. We do more things that, because we want to please him. Our lives, as a result, become more full of joy and we get more blessed. And then we get further away from that hurt and dysfunction that we experienced before we knew Christ. And we forget what that was like. So, it's out of sight. It's out of our mind. We're in a new place in our life. It's kind of like when you don't have kids and you hang out with people who do. It's like there's no connection there, right? It's kind of like it's out of sight, out of mind. Like, oh, my goodness. Like, I don't want to have kids. We have nothing in common. I don't like hanging out with these people. But once you have kids and they, and they have kids, it's a whole other story, isn't it? Because now you're in the same boat. You understand what it's like to have a family. So in the same way, when there's a lost person, when we're no longer lost, over time, we... We lose touch. We lose touch with that. And nothing wrong with that. It's just that we never need to lose that heart for the lost. And my mother, she didn't. She constantly held that as the, in the forefront of her mind is, is that it's not my mom's pastor's job or the church job. It's her job to reach people for Jesus. She took that serious. She took that mandate serious. And so Luke chapter 15 Verse 1, this is where it picks up. This is what Jesus' words to the tax collectors were. The tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such simple people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. But let me just stop there for a second. So the religious leaders of that time, the people who were playing safe, living by their own self-righteous this. They were complaining that Jesus was associating with sinners. Why would you hang with? And there's another thing, guys. If you're a believer, if you're Christ follower, there's also another reason why we might not share faith with the lost is because we're afraid to associate with them because we have a deep innate fear that maybe we're just this close from living just like them. And so we're like, oh, no, no, keep away from me. I know I can get pulled into that. 
And that may be a good common sense fear, but it ought not prevent us from engaging, reaching out to lost people. But these, these Pharisees and Sadducees, even other, other texts, not Luke 15, but they would say, why do you associate with such scum, is the words they use. And the, and the Greek is actually more of a curse word. Why are you hanging out with these deadbeats? And Jesus would say to them, hey, I don't come for healthy people. Think, people think they're righteous, but I come for people who know they're sick. And so he tried to address them in Luke 15 with three different scenarios. The first one is the, the parable of the lost sheep. So we pick up in verse 4. So Jesus told him the story. He said, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? Wait a minute. Oh, so, so Jesus, you're saying you would leave all the people who are paying, playing the rules, playing it safe, playing church, and you would go and you would walk away from that to find the lost sheep? Now, am I saying don't come to church? No, that's not what I'm saying. Oh, I should be in the bar on Sunday, Pastor Steve. That's what you're saying? No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying Jesus had the heart to go, to leave the 99. And then in verse 5, he said, And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed. That's where I get that idea from. Now, does God love the righteous who haven't strayed? Yes. And we're going to get to that more in the end here and how important you are. You faithful. You people who are following God with God. You're passionate to serve Him. You, you read your word. You, you want to you wanna grow more intimate with Christ. You want the love of Jesus to come outside of you when you go out into the workplace, when you're around people. You want that, your life to be changed by it. Good. I'll, I'll tell you what your reward is in the end here. But... Jesus goes to the one. And when he returns, there's more joy in high heaven over that one lost sinner. You know, I met a person on the plane, one of those scenarios where Jesus came up, only this was one of those people who were, they call themselves a Christian, and they, you know, thought they were very versed in the Bible, and it came up, the Jesus topic somehow, and I probably didn't bring it up, but they probably did. And what came up is this idea of, the verse where Jesus leaves the 99. And I was trying to tell him, this guy, the importance of us reaching lost people for Christ. How important it is. And he says, no, 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 no. That's not what that verse says. That verse says, like, if someone who's already in your church goes away, you go after him. And I'm like, how does that work? The original church started out with 12 disciples. How do you think it grew so big? By a bunch of people who went out away to find that one. If all we do is play defense and look out for that one that went away out of the church, that's not how you grow the body of Christ. That's not what that verse says. But it's a lost sinner. If you've surrendered your heart to Jesus, 
You're no longer a lost sinner. You're a found sinner. <laughs> you can write that down. There's a nugget. Doesn't mean you're not a sinner anymore. You're a found sinner. But a one lost sinner who repents and returns to God is celebrated in heaven. And so, Jesus uses that as the first illustration when the Pharisees ask him, why do you hang out with this scum? Jesus talked about the 99. When are we stepping out of our comfort zone to go where lost people are? You don't have to go far. You don't have to put yourself in compromising positions to have, for that to happen. They're in our workplace. They're our next door neighbors. It's a coffee meeting. Hey, let's get coffee. I want to buy you lunch. Hey, a family member's in town. You have time watching the sunset. There's opportunities right in front of us to be Jesus standing at the door and knocking. Plenty of opportunity. And so Jesus continues here. Why we stand at the door? Well, God cares more about one lost person than being found than, than our feeble attempts at being self-righteous. The second one is it, it enables us to be a searcher. Standing by the door enables us to be a searcher. So Jesus continues on with the parable of the lost coin. And this is what he says in Luke 18, oh, sorry, 15, verse 8 through 10. He says, Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels, even when one sinner repents. Listen, this, this older woman, she went sweeping the entire house. She went and searched carefully. So not only are we to be Jesus standing at the door, knocking at the hearts of people, but we ought to be seekers. We ought to be going out and finding. We, we, we ought to be saying, okay, we're in this bus on a trip from this city to this city, and I'm trapped in here with a captive audience of people who are sitting in this bus. Who, Lord, do you have me to speak to today? Who is in this bus that's discouraged, that's thinking about suicide? Who, who's in here who's been abused? We need to search for opportunities wherever we go and say, God, who is it today? Who is it at the beginning of work or during my break, during lunch? Who is it that you need me to talk to, to witness to, to love on? Why should we stand by the door? God cares more about one boss person being found than one's feeble attempt at self-righteousness. Two, it enables you to be a searcher. And three, it keeps you humble. Standing by the door keeps you humble. And that's when we get into the story of the prodigal son where Jesus said this. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told him, verse 11, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. Awesome, thank you. Do you know that in those times when some, somebody asked their father for their share of their estate or their inheritance before they passed away, it was as good as that young person telling that father that you're dead to me, you're as good as dead to me. That's what that meant. I care nothing of you. And so 
I want my inheritance now. Nothing to do with you. This younger son did that. And so what did the father do? He didn't sit there and control him and say, no, you cannot have it. He let him go. That's what God, God does with us. He holds us loosely. He's a gentleman. And if we want to run in the opposite direction, he'll let us. And so that's what this younger son did. He went off on his own. Spent his inheritance. He ends up in a pig pen where he's eating scraps along with pigs. He's having flies go down his throat. Okay? And he's sitting there thinking, what am I doing here? What have I done? I've spent my father's inheritance. I walked away from him. And now I'm eating pig scraps with the pigs. What am I doing here? Hey, you know, I could at least I could go back to my father's house and ask to be his servant, ask to be his slave, and I'll be live better than this. And so he goes, he goes off and is to return to his home. And guess what? what? I love about this. The father is waiting. He's searching off into the distance for his son. He sees him before he even is, is coming close enough. He knows it's him. He runs up to his son. He embraces his son and kisses him and forgives him and welcomes him home. And, and the son says, Father, forgive me. I, I've messed up. I had everything and I walked away from it. I misused what I had. And the father says, you're forgiven. He gives him a fine road, puts a ring on his finger. And, and he fat, takes the fattened calf and he makes a big barbecue and throws a massive party for his lost son. Who's this lost son? This isn't one of those lost sheep that were lost from the beginning. This is the prodigal son. The son that was there and left and then returned. This is talking about us believers who in our walk with God, when we stray away from him, when we fall away from following Christ, we get caught up in the things of this world. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's something that just pulls us away from God. And we spend years kind of floating around, not fully serving him, not following him, not being obedient to him, not pleasing him, not growing in a relationship with him. But then one day the light goes off and we're like, why am I far away from God? And you know what happens? His God is searching. Where's my boy coming back? He's waiting for you to turn to him. That's who this is talking about here. Us, you and I, when we fall away. And guess what he does? He didn't, you took the inheritance, you left. You should be punished. No, he forgave. And for those of you that are out there that feel like you're far from God and you fall away from, maybe you gave your heart to him at one point and you just feel like you're too far gone, Christ is waiting. He's standing by the door for you to return home. It's time to return home. Now, this is interesting. There's a part of this parable that I'm not going to leave out. It's the brother. It's the faithful one. The one that was playing by the rules. He is righteous. He's faithful. These are all great things. But his response to his lost brother returning isn't necessarily what we're looking for here. So meanwhile, verse 25, the older son was in the field working. 
the older, the older brother was angry and he wouldn't go into the party. And his father came out and begged him. But the son replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat to feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. And his father said to him, before I say what the father said, isn't that so typical? When, when we do all the hard work, we want God to be about us. We want God to be all about us because we're his children. We've surrendered to him. We're following him with all our hearts. But God's heart beats for the lost. And sometimes if we're not careful, we become like this older brother. And we become aggravated by lost people. We look down on lost people. We judge lost people. And we hold them at arm's length and be like, no, you're beneath me. And that's a pride, that's a self-righteous pride that comes in. If we're not careful, that's what comes. That happened over and over in the Bible, over and over again. It happened with, right, Jonah and the whale. He despised those Ninevites. I'm not going to those heathens. God's like, go to them. Go to them. Even some of the disciples, the sons of thunder. There was a city in Samaria. They wouldn't welcome them to stay and rest there. And so John and James and John, I think it's the sons of thunder, they, they, they asked Jesus, hey, we should call down fire on that city because they're evil. Like, what's going on? It's like this, this, this attitude of judgment because there's like a self-righteous thing there. And we got to avoid that attitude. But to listen to the response of the father. The father said to his son, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and now has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. That's the reward. The father says to you righteous, the ones of you that are following with all your heart, he said, everything I have is yours. Don't worry about celebrating this one coming into the family or this one returning home. Celebrate it. Cultivate a heart for it. Stand by the door for people and knock. Ask, and be Jesus to people. You're not going to be Jesus to people by judging them, by pointing fingers at them, by screaming and yelling at them. You're not going to be Jesus like that. You're going to be Jesus by loving people, by being engaged with people in relationship. People don't care what you know unless they know that you care. And so when you... When, when, you, when you interact with people and you exude the love of Jesus, it's going to be a natural byproduct. But you've got to be intentional. So, again, why should we stand under the war? Because God cares about one lost person being found more than our own self-righteous attempts. Standing by the door enables us to be searchers 
And it keeps us humble, standing by the door. Keeps us humble. See, this brother wasn't, wasn't humble. He was prideful. But to stand by the door, you've got to have a humble heart. You've got to have a humble heart. So if the pastor isn't accountable and the church isn't accountable for the people that you're supposed to reach for Christ, who is? Who is? You are. You're accountable. You're the hands and feet of Jesus. Second Timothy chapter 4 verse 5 says, work at bringing others to Christ. Complete the ministry God has given you. God has given us the great commission, the greatest commandment. Greatest commandment, what? Is love your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what I talk about being Jesus is loving people. Second is go into the world, preach the gospel, right? Baptize people and teach them to obey. Go out into the world, share the gospel. That's the greatest commandment. That's what we're called to do. These are the two um, verses by which the awakening hangs its vision. We're going to love people. We're going to reach people. We're going to be a church that stands by the door. How does that practically happen? Well, it happens by me encouraging you to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And it, I have to, as your pastor, challenge you to say, where have you been? Has there been someone in your life that you've led to Christ? And if not, Why? What is, what is the reason that's holding you back? Is there a fear there? Is there a pride there? What is holding you back? Do you know that 97% of people, that's even higher, that you talk to about God will have a positive response or are open to it, talking about it? There's only like that 3% that are actually negative or very angry, so you don't have to be afraid. What's some practical things you can do? Share your story. Talk about your story. Stories are powerful. That's all Jesus did the whole time. He's talking these parables. Talk story. Tell them how Jesus changed your life. Share with them why you believe what you believe. The Bible says that we always have to be prepared to share why we believe what we believe in Christ. And it's not just memorizing a bunch of Bible verses and quoting on people. That's not it. It's a story. Because we can sit here and debate all day about verses, but nobody's going to debate with you about your story. Your story's powerful. They can't say, oh, no, that didn't happen. They can't say that. Share with them your story, how Jesus changed your life. Have you ever practiced telling your story? Maybe practice it with your spouse. Practice it with a friend. You need to be a person who stands by the door. I'm going to choose to be a person that stands by the door. And I'm asking you this morning to choose to be a people who stand by the door. That's what our banner for our awakening is. We're going to be a church that stands by the door. That's who we are. Our vision, right? Helping people say yes to God, that's standing by the door. A church where the unchurched love to attend, that's standing by the door. And there's a poem. There's a poem that encapsulates perfectly why we're a church that stands by the door. 
guess what the title of that, that poem is? Guess what it is? Take a wild guess. I stand by the door. <laughs> and it's by Sam Shoemaker, but I edit it to, to reflect us as the awakening. Of who we are. Who is, what, who is the... What, what, where does this awakening church come from? Who are, what are they about? Well, this poem right here will encapsulate it perfectly. So I stand by the door. We stand by the door. We stand by the door. We neither go in too far nor stay too far out. This door is the most important door in the world. It's the door through which men walk when they find God. There's no use my going way inside and staying there when so many are still outside and they crave to know where the door is. And all that so many ever find is only the wall where the door ought to be. They creep along the wall like blind men with outstretched groping hands feeling for the door, knowing there must be a door yet that they never find it. So we, the awakened church, we stand by the door. The most tremendous thing in the world is for men to find the door, the door to God. The most important thing any man can do is to take hold of one of those hands and put it on the latch. That latch that only clicks and open to that man's own touch. Many die outside the door as starving beggars die in cold nights and cruel cities and the dead of winter. Die for what is what within their grasp. They live on the other side of that door. They live because they have not found it. Nothing else matters compared to helping them find it and open it and walk in and find God. So we, the awakening church, we stand by the door. Go in, great saints. Go all the way in. Go down into the cavernous cellars and way up into the spacious attics of this vast roomy house. This house where God is. Go into the deepest of hidden casements of withdrawals, silence, sainthood. Some must inhabit those inner rooms and know the depths and heights of God and call outside to the rest of us how wonderful it is in there. Sometimes I take a deeper look in. Sometimes we venture a little further at the awakening, but our place seems to be closer to the opening. So we at the awakening and we stand by the door. There's another reason why we stand there. Some people get partway in and become afraid lest God in the zeal of his house devour them. For God is so very great and ask all of us, all of these people feel a cosmic claustrophobia and they want to get out. Let me out, they cry. And the people way inside only terrify them even more. Some, somebody must be by the door to tell them that it's okay. It's all right. For the old life, they have seen too much. You can't go back. You're ruined now for Christ. You can't taste the old way anymore because it lost its taste. Believe us. So once you taste God, nothing but God will ever do it again. Somebody must be watching for the frightened who seek to sneak out just where they came in and tell them how much better it is inside. The people too far in don't see near these people who are leaving preoccupied with the wonder of it all. Somebody must watch for those who have entered the door but would like to run away. So we, for them, at the awakening, we, for them, we, we stand by the door. We admire the people that go in. All the other beautiful churches out there, 
Google, way deep in the attics. But we wish they wouldn't forget how it was before they got in. Then they would be able to help the people who have not yet even found that door. Or the people who want to run away again from God. You can go quickly. You can go in too deeply and stay in too long and forget the people outside the door. As for the awakening, we will take our accustomed place near enough to God to hear him and know that he is there, but not so far from men or the lost as to hear them and remember that they are there too. Where? Outside the door. Thousands of them. Millions of them. But more important for the awakening, one of them, 10 of them, hundreds of them, thousands of them, whose hands that we at the awakening intend to put on the door. So we stand by the door and we wait for those who seek it. The awakening would rather be a doorkeeper. So we stand by the door. What's the Awakening Church about? Oh, they're a church that stands by the door. What does that mean? <laughs> we care for lost deeply. And I can preach on Jesus and we can create an amazing church experience. But I cannot reach the people that you know. You have relationships with them, emotional investments with them where you can reach and touch their heart way better than I could. You are responsible. You are responsible. Share your story. Ask God. Seek, like, hey, God, who do you want me to talk to today? Continually do it. You'll be amazed at people. And you know what? Close the deal. At the end of sharing your testimony, you'll be like, hey, you want this too? I'll show you how to pray. It's not hard. It even says the prayer every Sunday, right? Jesus, come to my heart. Forgive me my sin. I surrender you. Jesus, your Lord, it's not that hard. You can do it. Ask him, hey, you want to give your heart to Jesus? Oh, I'm not ready yet. Oh, cool. Give him a little bit. Talk to him more. Ask him again, hey, you ready to give your heart to Jesus? Share your story. Make the ask. Share your story. Make the ask. We're going to close, and um, I'm going to actually give people an opportunity if you're far away from God, or if you've never given your heart to Jesus at all, I'm going to show you how to say that prayer. But before we do that, we're going to pray for us as the church, because we need some encouragement, we need some help with reaching the lost for Christ. Amen. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for what you're teaching us here at the awakening. And we thank you that God, you are a bigger God than all our fears than all the things that hold us back. Heavenly Father, we pray as believers that you would help us to be your hands and feet, that you would fill us so much with your love that we could stand at the doors of people's hearts and knock. If you're in here this morning and you're feeling like, man, that's an area I struggle with, I, as a Christ follower, need to be more active in sharing my story and making the ask, and I need to grow in that area. And Pastor Stephen, I'd like you to pray for me. That I could take some steps of faith. Without anybody looking around, heads bowed, eyes closed.
would you say that, hey, I need to take some steps of faith in this area? Eyes closed, heads bowed. If that's you this morning, raise your hand. God bless you. Good. Good. I'm praying for myself as well. God bless me. God bless you. Good. So, Lord, I thank you so much for those of us who are just following you through, following you with all our hearts, are passionate about serving you, passionate about doing what you want with our lives. But sometimes, Lord, we struggle. We forget sometimes what it's like, what it was like for us many years ago, some of us not too long ago, to be far from you. Lord, we're not perfect believers. Believers or followers of Christ aren't perfect. But we thank you that we're no longer lost sinners, but now we're found sinners. <laughs> but help us. Help us to be the love of Jesus to those who are lost. Now, continue to pray this morning. If you're far from God and you've never given your heart to Jesus or maybe you did a long time ago and it's time for you to return, maybe you're sitting in the pink pen of life and you're saying, man, my life is better following Jesus before. I'm going to show you how to pray to make your heart right. You just have to say it in a way that's authentic and real. You say these words. You say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sin. I believe that you died on the cross for me, but that you rose from the dead and you conquered death so that I could be free. Jesus, I believe you're Lord and I want you to be the Lord of my life. Come in my heart. Wash me clean, Jesus. Make me a new person. said that prayer this morning. You said that prayer for the first time or rededicated your heart to Jesus. Reach out to one of us. Reach out to one of us. Email, phone call, grab me after service. Continue to pray here, Lord. We thank you so much for what you're doing and how you're moving. And we pray all this in Jesus' precious name. And everybody said, you took me from